Today is Tuesday, November 12th, 2019. Time for episode 98 of the Barnhart Podcast. And you've mentioned that uh, even though you've quit making videos, you're going to make one more video. And I presume you're going to put that online on YouTube. So just on schedule, Google announced they are changing their terms of service, explicitly reminding people that they are not obliged to host or serve anyone's videos, especially if they're not economically beneficial to Google. I guess that means if you're talking about uh, whether the junior bishop in white is the pope or talking about priestly celibacy, maybe they don't have to host your videos anymore. Yeah, okay, I'm they- sorry. They don't have to host your videos anymore. I hate up talking and I realized on the last recording I did it a couple times, so I'm trying to correct myself. <laughs> very good, very good. The first step is to acknowledge that you have a problem. Um, yeah, I mean, I've I've been working off the assumption that, you know, the days of my stuff being on YouTube are numbered and I'm surprised that it's lasted this long. Um, I was sending you uh, messages about what the, what the alternative is, what it's going to be, what the next step is going to be. We're talking about bit shoot and things like that. Um, and I, I guess from, you know, just judging off the the little bit of chat that we've been doing this past week to, about it, I guess I'm kind of resolved to the fact that at some point we're going to have to pay. Um, we're going to have to start paying for, for streaming video. Well, uh, if that's, if that's what happens, that's what happens. Um, I guess, you know, I can't, I can't complain too much, but yeah, we should all expect that anything, and especially the stuff that we're talking about, which is obviously 100% against the agenda of the Freemasonic Soros, Palo Alto, anti-Pope Bergoglio, um, anti-church edifice, um, that is, since we're talking about things that are explicitly against that, that it's just a matter of time before we're going to get, we're going to get cut off. And again, another thing that I encourage with pretty, with my entire video oeuvre is mirror, mirror, mirror. Um, The majority of the views that I have for videos to this day, and I don't know what the multiple is, but it's by by a factor. It's a there's a coefficient in front of it. The majority of my views online of video are not off of my YouTube account. They're off of mirrors that other people have done. So, like for example, the diabolical narcissism video. My diabolical narcissism video. I don't know. I don't even look. But the last time I looked or saw it, it had like forty five thousand views there's at least one mirror that has approaching 700,000 views. So I I don't care. I'm not making these videos um, to make money. None of it's monetized. I don't care. I'm making these videos to get the information out, period, full stop. That's it. So one of the things that we can do is mirror all this stuff and get multiple copies of it up so that if they do come in and just across the board delete my entire YouTube channel, well, if you go to YouTube and type in Barnhart or, you know, Barnhart narcissism, Barnhart whatever, whatever topic, Barnhart Von Day genocide, um, then my videos will still be there. It's just they're they're sitting on other people's accounts. And eventually they'll go after all of it. And eventually, you know, my name has already been noticeably shadow banned on Google search engine properties, noticeably. Um, 
so it's it's a matter of time before you know the cancel culture really hits and there's just you, you'll type my name into a into a search engine and just nothing will come up except you know the un troll sites um well yeah i mean ha, ha, we've been talking about this literally for years i've been expecting this for years i've been expecting this since the moment i pressed the upload button on my Korean burning video i mean come on um so don't don't sit around and and navel gaze and complain do something about it be proactive so trying to figure out alternatives but just just bracing and resigning to the fact that eventually at some point i'm gonna have to pay to get this stuff out and then other people maybe can, can pick it up and syndicate it and that'll buy us some more time but yeah it's it's just it's how it is it's part of life it's where it's all going deal with it yeah and, and there are some definite possible solutions to to work around this i mean the 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 real thing that Google is getting after here is they have never turned a profit, and they are, I guess I guess Alphabet is done paying their freight for giving away free video, free you know the the ability for everyone to put their family videos out there and cat videos and other unmonetizable things, and they at this point they want to be able to monetize it and have YouTube make a profit or maybe like Google does maybe they'll just kill it. They have a history of killing popular stuff. I don't, I don't know that they would kill YouTube necessarily, but they, they definitely don't want to keep throwing away money. And this is something where you look at your videos. This is not something that's brand safe. And one of the, I've, I've mentioned the No Agenda show before. They've, they've talked about the whole concept of brand safety as opposed to political correctness. And it's not a matter that these companies like Twitter, Facebook, Google, yes, they do have very left-leaning employees, but the business people making the decisions care more about green than they do red and blue. They want to be able to make money and sell advertising. And when advertisers uh, throw a fit saying, hey, you ran one of my ads for you know XYZ detergent next to Ann Barnhart's Muslim sexuality video, I don't ever want to have an ad next to her stuff again. Now, for Anne, she doesn't really care about that. She's not. She has an unmonetized channel. She doesn't care. But there are people who try to make their living by putting YouTube or videos on YouTube, and they really care about whether or not their videos can be monetized. And some significant people have had their video channels demonetized because at least one advertiser has complained, or somebody in the brand management department or brand safety department has said, "We can't reliably expect." to run ads over this content and have the advertisers not complain. So there's a certain, uh, it's, it's more reflective of the culture at large. The culture is not Catholic. It is not conservative. And if you've got a message that contradicts culture at large, the advertisers want people to buy stuff based on feeling good about seeing an ad next to their favorite weird cat video or whatever. And if they if, if they see an ad for a Tide detergent next to Anne saying something about Muslim sexuality and it makes them feel bad because they saw this video about uh, that Anne said, and then they they associate that with Tide, that's not brand safe. So that that's why it'll never be monetized. And if it's a really popular video that has no monetary value to YouTube, they're going to look at this eventually and say, "We have no obligation to host your videos, and you're costing us a lot of money. Goodbye." Yeah. Now, the the all the content could it could also be shared, you know, through peer-to-peer -peer systems. And BitChute is one of them. There's a uh, PeerTube and a few others. 
and you can definitely get the video out and about. The, what you lose by going that route is the searchability and discoverability. Well, as long as you've got a website and you can get the word out and around that way, people know how to find your content. Yeah. It's the people who are starting from zero, who have no way of getting the word out. They're going to hurt the most from all of this. And, you know, there's no free lunch. Um, Google's been paying for it for this whole time. And they're going to say, we're not paying for this anymore. You have to figure this out on your own, how to make a money or how to, how to, how to make an audience. And some of the other alternatives out there, you either go through peer-to-peer systems where you're, you are relying on a group of volunteers. I mean, I'm sure that we could put together a group of 10 to 50, I'm just going to make a wide range there, of listeners who have the ability and the uh, would be interested in putting together either like BitTorrent servers or peer-to-peer serving machines to keep all of your content available, and then we could just link that from your website. But... The other alternative is to go to a website like Vimeo and pay $50 a month, $100 a month to be able to host the video or go mm-hmm. through some other video hosting account. It's not cheap to move video. We're talking about a lot of megabytes, gigabytes really. And in a lot of cases, especially your your a lot of your videos, it's essentially talk radio with your face moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. th- there's there's not a lot of context that would be lost. Well, actually, some of your you do have the slideshows, but most of the context that you that that comes through in your talks could be done just in audio. So in that in that perspective, that's really the kind of stuff that YouTube hates because it's essentially audio content. It's the kind of stuff that somebody on YouTube or who, who's consuming it can open the video and then switch to another tab and just listen and get yeah. 90 to 95% of the content, that's the stuff they want to get rid of because that costs them money. If they've mm-hmm. got an ad that's showing at the same time, like a partial overlay, like a, like a lower third, nobody's going to see that if it's on another tab. So yes, there, there eventually will come a point when it's all about ideology. There will come a point where if you identify sufficiently Catholic, people will kill you, demonetize you, deplatform you, all of that. At this point, Google's caring about money more than anything else. They'll yeah. get they'll get to the explicitly overt anti-Catholic stuff soon enough, but that's not where we're at just yet. It happens to overlap. A lot of the great Catholic content out there right now, it's not something that Google can make money on selling ads. So that's why it's going to start disappearing. Yeah, and you you touched on something um, a second ago that bears re- reiteration with the listenership. We we all spend all day every day thinking, looking at all of this um, day-to-day news coming out of Rome. You know, everybody's looking at at both of Frank Walker's updates on Canon 212 every day, looking for all the Catholic headlines, like like Super Nerd, you might have an RSS feed set up, et cetera, et cetera. You, you have to understand the vast, vast, vast majority of people have absolutely no idea that any of this is happening. Um, you know, it's it's literally numbered in the thousands of people in the world. Ten, if you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. There's not very many people at all who have any idea, awareness, interest in any of this. And so, you know, the thought, well, they they can't possibly 
you know, they can't possibly shut down all of this news. Guys, there's, there's, there's a few thousand of us. Of, of course they could. They absolutely could. No one would care. Nobody knows anything about any of this. Nobody knows anything about Pachamama or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, the, the readership of LifeSite News knows about all of that. How, how many people is that? That's, it's, I, I would have to think it's less than a million people. Um, there's just, there's no broad awareness of any of this. And so we tend to get um, a hyperinflated sense of the number of people we're talking about, the size of the market that we're talking about. Well, if YouTube canceled all of the trad Catholic content, people would be up in arms. Yeah, you know, tens of dozens of people would be up in arms. It's a, it's a complete, I don't want to say it's a non-issue, but I mean, numerically, statistically, um, it, it is. It, there's, there's, no, there's no risk to them alienating the market that we constitute because you know, there's tens of dozens of us and we're just not any sort of a, of a financial um, force relative to something like YouTube or anything like that. So just don't forget that. Don't forget how few of us there are that are, that are engaging any of this at all. And if, I don't know what, what an exercise in this might be where, where's a good place to go and just people watch, um, a mall. I don't even, you know, driving, commuting on, on during rush hour on the interstate, just stop and consider sometime. How many of these people have any idea, care about any of this? And the answer is almost none, statistically speaking, almost none. So. Yeah, they probably have more concern about what the Kardashians are doing. And I don't even know if that's even current as far as television goes. I don't know what I don't really care what the the popular television shows are anymore. But I, I would imagine they're probably more interested in popular culture, even more than sports ball and all the rest of that stuff. It's going to be trivial stuff that people are into for the most part these days, not actual significant things like, I don't know, salvation. Oh yeah, absolutely, no question. Um, I saw something earlier this week, or within the within the past week, and somebody said, "Look, the 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 national religion of the United States is, is professional sports." I mean, that's and that's largely true. Um, you you do something to mess with the NFL and people's access to the NFL, or any anything in that context and people are up in arms the way that people used to be up in arms centuries ago when for example they would try to you know mess with the antiphons on the wednesday in the octave of pentecost and and if they tried to change one syllable in 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 that people would riot well that's kind of you, you people today might look at that and say that that oh, that doesn't even make any sense. I can't even process that. Well, yeah, you kind of you kind of can because that's the way people react when anything is done to interrupt um, or anything controversial happens in terms of sports. And because yes, it's absolutely true. Sports, especially in the United States and and also Canada, sports is the national religion. And I suppose you could say the same thing to a large extent in Europe too. It's just that in Europe, it's soccer, which I don't know if that officially counts as a sport, but <laughs> that's another episode. So <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. I, I'm not a big soccer fan myself, but uh, 
Yeah, that's a that's a topic for another time. Yeah. Uh, so with with uh, Google doing away probably soon with with Catholic content on YouTube, that means that uh, where else are we going to find out about things like? I don't know, Archbishop or Cardinal saying that a Pope can lead the church into heresy. I mean, all those remnant TV videos have got to go away at some point. <laughs> yes, that is true. Um, and I, you know, you know, don't get me started. Everybody, all of this business about um, the Pope, the papacy and heresy, um, obviously everybody's just completely disoriented, barking up the wrong tree, arguing the wrong things because as everybody out there knows my position is that is that jorge mario bergoglio and the papacy that venn diagram has zero overlap the two things have nothing to do with each other and so while everybody's sitting around talking about um can the can the pope lead the church into heresy totally totally missing the point of the whole thing making things way, way harder and more difficult than they need to be because every, because I mean, you're basing things on an air. You don't need to adjudicate and debate out anything about whether or not, you know, Jorge Mario Bergoglio's um, arch heresy and now evident apostasy um, has anything to do with the papacy and, and removing him. You, he's a criminal. That's he is a straight up criminal. All you have to do is physically remove him. You don't have to hold a trial about whether or not he's a heretic or not. This is this is completely irrelevant. But then now you've since you've got people talking about this, now you've got people just in order to defend the false notion that Bergoglio is the pope. And, you know, cowards, frankly, cowards. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people now who are just getting sick of, you know, book after book after exclusive interview after exclusive interview of, you know, Cardinal Burke, Bishop Schneider, all, all these people, Cardinal Sarah, all of these people that people are looking to for some sort of a guidance. And um, there's a headline up right now that says, I don't know who the blog post is. It might be the Mundabor guy um, that says, you know, enough interviews, enough interviews. And, and that that is absolutely true. Need to stop doing interviews. Need to start calling press conferences. Or really, you only need to call one press conference and say it'd take less than 60 seconds. Significant canonical irregularities have been identified with regards to Pope Benedict's putative attempted abdication in February of 2013. Therefore, this all needs to be put into a state of suspense. The, um, the, what appears to have been a conclave in March of 2016, if the putative resignation was invalid, was in fact completely and totally invalid. It'd take less than 60 seconds, call a press conference, one of these men who has authority says this, and the sun rises on a new world the next morning, and people will be crawling out of the woodwork I mean, I've noticed in my email box just within the past uh, week, 10 days, significant uptick in, in people, especially priests, um, 
emailing me and just saying, just want let just want to let you know I'm I'm four square behind you. Keep up the good work. Keep after it. Um, priests that I haven't had any contact with for a long period of time, reaching back out and saying, I want to, I just want to reach out, say, Hey, stay in contact with you. We met at this at such a place, da, 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 da. Um, and it, there's been talk since the beginning that there are a non-trivial percentage of, of people in positions of authority in the church who are, you know, still actually Catholic, who have been talking in whispers quietly amongst themselves almost since the beginning, saying there is a non-trivial chance that Bergoglio isn't actually the Pope. Um, if someone with any authority would just man up, take up your cross for real, be ready to die. Be ready to have an, an anti-pope who is probably the false prophet forerunner of the Antichrist try to take your hat. Um, this sounds awesome to me. Again, we've, we've gone on about this before. Why would you not want that? And then just watch what happens. Watch how many people come out of the woodwork and say, okay, yeah, now that a cardinal or somebody has said something someone with someone with a title someone with with a with from a position of, of actual authority um comes forth and says something i'm telling you there will be people crawling out of the woodwork because it's obvious it's obvious that the bergoglio situation is absolutely cacked and has been cacked from literally the very very beginning if you look at that situation and see how cacked it is, shouldn't you stop and, and say to yourself, did something odd uh, happen immediately before all this? Um, uh, yes, only the oddest thing to happen in the papacy in the past 2,000 years. Yes, something very, very odd happened. And that's where we need to be focused on. Um, so people's people's patience obviously uh, is either running out or with with the idolatry and with the pachamama demon worship and the the fact that they're not even hiding they're not even hiding that George Soros Palo Alto um the Ford Foundation Carnegie all of these groups which are about um human population not just control, we're talking about massive human population reduction, culling the human population, thwarting the existence of human beings, um, the promotion of, of the aggressive promotion of sexual perversion. It's now, they're not even hiding the fact that they are 100% in bed with these people and that these people are funding all of this. That Considering is that these groups are all secular humanists, it's interesting how anti-human their positions actually are. Well, it's funny that, isn't it? Isn't that, isn't that amazing? Yes. Um, it, so it's all, they're not even hiding it anymore. And everybody just just sits here nobody nobody's putting this together at all um and people are just not willing to do anything again going back to the whole pachamama thing and you've got i made this point when it happened i mean you know 
happy that that Bishop Schneider put out a book and it says Catholic things, um, although I, I take tremendous issue with, again, he repeated his rhetoric, his, his trope that if, if you think, if you try to do anything about this, and if you think that you can do anything about this, that's too human. If you, if you actually try to do anything, you are disregarding the, um, or denying God's capacity to act supernaturally. And so don't even do it. Prove how awesome you are. Prove what a good Christian you are by sitting and doing nothing about this. Again, this is, this is the heresy of double predestination. Because what it what it basically is saying is that the elect the elect are the elect and they are saved and they are predestined saved and the reprobate are reprobate and they are predestined reprobate and so everyone who's going to die in a state of grace and achieve the beatific vision that's locked in and there's nothing any of us can do about any of that and likewise people who are who are not going to achieve the beatific vision who are going to end up eternally damned to hell well they've been predestined for that reprobation so there's nothing we can do about that either so as we sit here in real time and all of these souls are being deceived and people are apostatizing i mean you just you look at com boxes and things and you you continuously are seeing people say things like either either I myself or somebody I know converted to Catholicism 10 years ago and now totally regrets it, totally regrets it. Not only have they left left the practice of Catholicism, they're now careening towards full-blown atheism. And that's that is the risk. I mean, once you get into the one true faith, once you're scandalized out of that, I mean, where the hell do you go? You've already done all the research. You already know that everything else is false. You already know everything else is is BS. When you get scandalized out of the Catholic faith, that where people end up is is um, atheism. That there's there's just nothing. There's there's just absolutely nothing. And uh, yeah, granted, a a percentage of those could end up like Buddhists. Be, why? Because Buddhism is basically just is <laughs> litur liturgical atheism. The entire base premise of Buddhism is that there is nothing. There is no reality. And what nirvana is, which, and again, Buddhism has its roots in, in Hinduism. It's the same thing. You're trying, what the human being is trying to get in touch with is the fact that there is no reality. There's no nothing. You're seeing this a lot when you see um, these headlines that pop up um, on the secular news all the time of people constantly harping about how the universe <clears throat> is all a is all a simulation that none of this is real that that there is no reality or that if the if this is any sort of a reality it's just a simulation that's running on some massive space alien server you know existential levels above us and nothing that we do ma i mean i this you sounds just like the 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 uh the t the summary of the movie the matrix mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely and there's people for whom the matrix um 
when that came out, I think the Matrix first came out, what, 99 or something like that? It was in oh, the late yeah. 90s, yeah. Late 90s. Um, I th- there are people who absolutely latched onto that as a as a quasi pseudo religion. No question about that, that everything's, this is all just, it's, we're all living in a simulation. Um, extraordinarily popular idea because again, it allows people to believe that there are no consequences to any of their actions. Also, let's remind ourselves that the two brothers, the Wachowski brothers who made the Matrix, both of them have gone um, have gone drag queen, and both of them have mutilated themselves and are um, living as full time insaniac uh, transvestite drag queens. So, what what does that tell you about the intrinsic evil in all of that and the satanic involvement in all that? Um, so, yeah, I mean, people, people, if they apostatize from Catholicism, they could end up conceivably going to Buddhism because they're just chasing after the big nothing and just trying desperately to convince themselves that none of it matters. And that, and that soul annihilation, again, as soon as, as soon as Bergoglio comes out and starts talking about soul annihilation, I've been convinced for a long time, that is one of the most dangerous errors that even, I think even trads can in just, can kind of have, you can have that mind worm in the back of your head that, you know, oh, well, if it doesn't work out when you, when you die, boom, you're just snuffed out of existence. And no, nobody nobody is snuffed out of existence ever. We're all, we're all immortal technically. I mean, in, in the sense that every human being that is brought into existence, that rational intellect will exist forever. And then of course we believe that after, after the, the resurrection, that everybody will be reunited to their bodies and will will occupy eternity somehow, some way. And it's, it's really difficult to talk about um, eternity because you, if you use any verbiage that, um, that relates to time, you're, you're not doing it justice because eternity is obviously being outside of time. So you can't say things like forever and this, that, and the other, but again, we just, we just lack, we lack the ability to comprehend because now we're living in the physical universe and in linear time. We just, we cannot comprehend what it is to be outside of time. So we have to cripple around and, and use these words, but yeah, you're going to, you're going to get your body back and where you end up, you'll end up forever. And people are just desperate, desperate to the point where that they will become violent Um when we remind them that no, that that just simply isn't the case. There is there is no soul annihilation. They want to believe that there's soul annihilation, and we are telling them no, there isn't. And that the terror, the underlying terror that is associated with that, that there might actually be not just consequences, but unending consequences, eternal consequences for what what we are doing in this world. Oh, brother. That's why they hate us so much. And they'll, they'll ultimately, as is obvious, they will ultimately start physically murdering us just in order 
so it, so that they can stick the, their fingers in their ears and and not be hearing hearing any of that. They don't want to hear any of that. Well, if deplatforming you from Google and the internet doesn't shut you up and you keep talking about the truth and that doesn't silent that doesn't uh, bring about sufficient silence for them, then they have to kill you. That's the only thing left. I want to go back to something you said earlier about um, could be people in the church or professional Catholics and commentators uh, saying, what can we possibly do to affect what's going on in the church? It makes me think of, you know, cases like Joan of Arc. She was moved by sanctifying grace. Yes, there was the angelic apparition as well. But moved by grace, there have been many cases through history where one person can stand up and change the course of history. Some of them are a little more um, spectacular than others. Um, Catherine of Siena, a, yeah. a, a, lay, a lay person. She's third mm-hmm. order Dominican, but she was a lay person. Um, she definitely was devoted to and subject to the Pope, but also got his ear and, and, and convinced him to go back to Rome. Um, you could be an Austrian kid grabbing the Pachamama idols and yeah. throwing them in the Tiber. That's, I'm fully convinced this is something that's definitely motivated by faith and a sense of righteous anger. And some of the cardinals and archbishops don't think that was a great idea. Um, except that it is. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that no one else did it. Like I, I started to say, they're, you know, they were having a book launch for Bishop Schneider's book literally a few doors down if anybody's ever been to rome it's on that that street that mussolini built that straight street that goes straight dead ahead to saint peter's um and that's where the church was the traspontina church that's where that church is and then they were having a book launch and who's at that book launch schneider's there burke's there i think sarah's there all of the trads are there because they're either covering the um, they're either covering the the Amazon synod debauchery, and or they're there for the Samorum Pontificum conference. So every, everybody's there in the same room, and it just never occurred to anybody to call somebody, ra- you know, raise the sacristan of that church, and go over there and do something about it. What, what are they going to do? Are they going to arrest all of you? Or are they going to call in a, 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 a battalion of, of Italian military police and throw everybody in paddy wagons? First, with, with three cardinals among them? Um, I, I don't think so. No. Um, just go, go do something. Just the impotence. The, the impotence, the effeminacy. Again, going back to this, going back to this, this is the scourge of our age, this lack of of potency, virility. All people can do is is sit. And again, going back to sports, you know, we were talking about sports. That's that's the problem with um, with spectator sports as it has become now. Um especially in the North American culture, that all men can do is sit and watch. And there's no, there's no thought of actually doing something yourself. It's all about watching other people do things and then critiquing other people. You know, everybody sits, you know, you got the 400 pound guy sitting there shoving Doritos in his pie hole and guzzling Dr. Pepper sitting there critiquing 
you know, what some guy with with four percent body fat who can run a four four forty is is doing on the playing field, and you know what a loser he is, and this that and the other, and it's just that whole that whole effeminate detachment from everything, um, and the whole notion that nobody can or should even be expected to do anything. Not just things that are that are difficult. That's sloth. The the unwillingness to do things because they're difficult. That is that isn't even what we're talking about here. We're talking about a, a, a pathological unwillingness to do anything that will reduce in any way your personal pleasure or comfort. And it's just no. I'm not. I'm not going to do anything. You can't say anything. You can't say anything against Bergoglio. He's crazy. He'll take my hat. He'll do this. He'll do that. When it, the solution to this would be so simple. I'm sorry. A 60 second press conference could end all of this at any time. And it's just well, you can't do anything. And well, all and then all you can do is pray. Okay. Yeah. Everybody should be praying. Absolutely. Every day, rosaries, adoration, mass, I mean, as much prayer as you can possibly do. You, your life should just be living prayer. But what are you praying for? What, what is it? What are, you know, a lot of the Psalms saying? You're praying to God to lift up, lift up people who are in a position to do something that they might do something. You're, you're praying for other people to now to act because yes, absolutely. If you're an 85 year old woman in rural Oklahoma, you're not in a position to do anything about the idolatry going on in Rome. The people in Rome are in a position to do something about that. And the, the Schuegel kid drove down from Austria and he did something about it. Um, yeah, there, there are people who are in a position to do something about it. And that, prayer i mean what what are you what are you praying for and looking at history and and how god operates what's the common sense here how does god prefer to operate does he prefer to operate with um you know cinematic special effects supernatural events um you know things like that happening. Again, here's another thing that's interesting. Going into our entertainment culture, going into this these movies and these special effects, um, I think that people have have that line in their in their consciousness blurred between what they see in movies and then the reality of how God operates at on a default basis in the world. God is not is going to hold off the wild supernatural intervention as long as he can. Why? Because he's a jerk? No, exactly the opposite. He's holding off as long as he can to give us the opportunity to act because man can only be truly happy when he is doing the right, the, the genuine right, the genuine good, the true good. That's the only way we can be truly happy. And so by by holding back the right arm of his wrath, in that patience, in that mercy, he's he's 
setting the field so that we can be the Schoigel and go into the church and and throw the Pachamamas into the river. Although, by the way, we've all we've all learned the lesson that next time this happens, it either there's been I posted the video of the guys who um you know did the explosion with the with the explosive chemicals they were they looked to be out in the out in the country of Texas Oklahoma something like that um but the other thing that we've learned is that you know wood chippers are absolutely essential equipment in this day and age that you have to you have to wood chip and then you have to burn burn the chips and then dispose of them that way but uh <laughs> but i digress about um idol <laughs> the dispatching of idols God holds off so that we can act. He's letting us come to his aid. He remains he remains vulnerable so that we can stand up for him. Um, and I've, I've written about this. This is my, um, I think this is the Jesus and Guns essay, which is just one of the ones that's been um, recently published, I think, in one of the two books, I think the first book of collected essays. And that is the whole notion that... Um, after the Last Supper, when they went um, to the garden and our Lord was praying, and then here comes um, here comes Judas and and the Jewish guards to arrest our Lord, um, and you know Peter Peter draws his sword and cuts off the the one guy's the one servant's ear and all that. And what does our Lord say? He doesn't rebuke him. He he gives him he gives him the the hold and stand down order, which is not saying you horrible person how dare you do that. Well, it's not you horrible person, Peter. How dare you do that? If, if someone's coming to attack your friend, your beloved, it, I mean, and it, in this case, God. If someone is coming and attacking, how much more should you be willing to get up and do something and act? And, and act to defend him. So because our Lord, obviously, the, the passion needed to, to continue to continue on and it needed to happen. And our Lord was completely resigned to it happening, you know, as he as he told the father in prayer in the garden. He had to say to Peter, not he didn't he didn't chastise him or rebuke him. He just he just gave him the hold. He just said, hold and stand down. Hold and stand down, sinite usque hook, up to this point and no further. Just stop. Okay. I'm giving you the hold command. Because it would be, it would be categorically psychopathic for Peter and the rest of them to not want to rush to his defense, to not want to do something. Um, we're, we're not getting any hold or stand down order here. I don't know. I don't know if Bishop Schneider thinks that we are. Uh, and if he thinks that where he's getting that misapprehension, we are, and that's not what's going on here. There's, we're under no, no hold and stand down orders at all from our Lord. Our Lord is, it's the opposite. He's waiting. He just keeps waiting so that we'll do something. And people are praying and praying and praying. Oh Lord, please lift up modern day saints. Well, okay, and then and then they do something. Then then somebody actually does something, and they can't be attacked fast enough. And you've got Bishop Schneider saying, "Well, that's all. That's all too human, and we have to stop doing these things because that indicates a, a, a human reliance, and we don't trust in the supernatural power of God." It's like, man, I don't. I, I just don't get it. I don't get it at all. But that's my rant. It really makes you wonder where, 
we're looking for heroes for the faith. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be coming from people wearing purple and red. I think that much is obvious. Yeah. It's going to have to be coming from the laity. And that's, that's scary. And then the question that comes up, and it's a completely valid question, is the, the question of authority. And, you know, I've had this said to me by a lot of people and a lot of people, a, a lot of very smart people and um, influential and connected people have said to me, and, and I agree, you know, Anne, you can, you can jump up and down and do as much as you want and yell and scream as much as you want. But there's not there's not any traction in any of this until someone with some authority steps to the front and takes up takes up the banner and takes up the mantle on this. I agree hundred percent. Now that doesn't mean I'm going to stop because if there's any good that comes out of what I'm doing, it's keeping people from being scandalized. There's a lot of people saying I get you know emails all day every day with the sentiment in so many words that you thank you you keep this is all your reportage and what you're explaining this is all keeping me sane well yeah in a certain sense there's only so much air and falsity um that you can that you can imbibe before it does drive you nuts and you start doing things like denying the laws of non-contradiction and so forth and that that's that's cuckoo pants and it'll tear you apart inside it will tear you apart mentally and it'll tear you apart spiritually you can't hold simultaneously contradictory positions and think that that's going to work out well for you mentally or spiritually. It's not. It's not at all. Um, and so you just, I'll, I'm going to keep hammering on this as long as I need to. But yeah, you do need someone with some authority to, st- to step up and say something. And that's back to your point, Super Nerd, when you said it's not going to be, it's not going to be any of these prelates. Well, Who's it going to be? Maybe, maybe it's just going to be, you know, a simple, humble priest like like St. John Marie Vianney. It's, it's going to be somebody in that um, in that strata of, of, of the hierarchy that's going to have to step forward and say something. But it's good. Yeah, I mean, it's going to have to be somebody who is ordained and who offers the Holy and August sacrifice of the Mass. I mean, I, I don't see how this... Uh, um, I don't see how it can possibly resolve, um, again, barring supernatural intervention, without somebody who's who's ordained. I don't think the laity, by definition, can 100% completely alone do this. It has to be, there has to be the involvement of, of the priestly class, no question. So... Um, and the, the other thing to remind, remind ourselves of is that we can't predict any of this. I mean, who saw any of this coming seven years ago today? I know what I was doing seven years ago today. I was eagerly planning and looking forward to my pilgrimage to Rome that I made in December of 2012. I was getting ready and I was, you know, buying guidebooks and and so on and so forth, getting ready to go on my little 10-day pilgrimage to Rome. No, you couldn't have foreseen any of this. And it just keeps happening that way. You can't foresee any of this. Who who foresaw all the events? Now, we knew that the Amazon Synod was going to be an abject train wreck, and we knew that it was going to be bad. But who could have foreseen 
all the stuff that went on and you know from the the thing in the Vatican gardens of the worshiping of the idols to Scheugel doing his his heroic act then to the um putting putting the pachamama idol dirt bowl on on the altar in saint peter's thereby desecrating saint peter's i think there's a headline up right now that um monsignor books who is that uh, that italian again not a bishop uh, i don't think books is a bishop i think he's just um i think he's just a priest um there's he's but he's influential and he has people's ear in rome He's a liturgist and a theologian, and he's saying, "Yeah, these these churches need to be need to be exercised and reconsecrated. It's like Saint Peter's needs to be exercised and reconsecrated." Uh, thank you, thank you. Been saying that for years now. You you have to do that to almost, frankly, not just every church in Rome, um, every every Catholic church. Do you do you really think that? Um, after the triumph of the Immaculate Heart, that one of the first projects that we're all going to have to do is is getting all of these churches squared away in terms of that, with all of this crap that's been going on, all of the sodomy that goes on inside of churches, especially especially in Rome. And I know a lot of people don't like to hear about that, but if there's any explanation to any of the stuff that's happened to me over the last seven years, if there's any rhyme or reason behind any of it, one, one of the things that I am convinced why all this bizarre stuff has happened to me um, subsequent to my retirement from my, from my normal secular career is finding out and being able to blow the whistle on the fact that the situation the sodomitical infiltration is just beyond what anybody can possibly believe and what and beyond what even a lot of trads want to believe um it's just it's just everywhere and they are they're doing it inside of churches they're desecrating churches um and it, it's it's an open secret in rome i mean everybody knows and just keep talking about these notions. I was corresponding with someone via, via email this week about the, you know, the, what were we talking about? Was it the potch? Oh no. It was the fact that, um, um, the whole deal that, um, Bergoglio had a mass at St. John Lateran on November the 9th, which is the feast of the consecration of the Lateran Basilica. Um, and so Bergoglio goes and as is, as is tradition, because, um, the Lateran is actually the Pope's, it's, it's, it's the cathedral of, of Rome, it's the cathedral of the Pope, not St. Peter's, it's the Lateran. And so, um, and when when new popes are, are elected and installed legitimately, um, one of the first things that they do, one of the first masses is that they go to the Lateran and they quote unquote, take possession of the Lateran Basilica. And that's the, that's the Pope's church. And that feast is November 9th. So we just had that. And so looking at these pictures, um, which a longtime listener and friend of the, um, of the website and the podcast sent to me saying, Hey, this is, this is going around on Instagram. Look at this. No candles. No candles, no altar cross, nothing. The mensa was completely bare, which is a massive, grave liturgical abuse. And, you know, I posted the citation of all of that and everything. 
And um, well, traditionally, Des, I don't know what the rules are in the new mass. I mean, is anything still, an abuse? It, it still says in the germ that the candles have to be either on or directly adjacent to um, the altar. And so, yeah, there are some there are some candelabras or candlesticks that are that stand on the floor, but they have to be. And you can see pictures of this. And in fact, I want to say that the the Novus Ordo Parish that I came into in Denver, which was a brand new construction church built from a dirt start in 2001, that they had um, floor standing candles. But they were, I mean, it was obvious that they were directly adjacent to and obvious to the altar. Now, is that substandard? Of course it is. We should all have high altars and the and the candlestick should be on the on the gradine of the high altar, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And if a frog wore trouser pants, he'd carry a revolver. That's not where we are right now. But talking about um, you know, this abuse in in terms of that, I'm corresponding with this person. And the person keeps saying, well, why are you the only person talking about this? Well, why why isn't anyone else saying anything about this? And I'm just like, dude, are you serious? Have you not been paying attention? First of all, no disorders. Nobody has any idea. Again, going back to where we, what the point I made kind of at the top of the show about how we have to remember how the vast majority of people have no, no awareness clue about any of this. Now let's even let's shrink that down and let's just talk about about you know people who who profess to be Catholics. How many Novus Ordo Catholics would look at a picture of Bergoglio saying mass on the high altar at the Lateran with no candles and no altar cross? How for how many Novus Orduists would that even would that even register as being abnormal, much less problematic? Oh, oh. 0.0000000001%. It wouldn't even register. Then the next point beyond that, well, why are you the only one saying anything about this? I mean, really? All, we're looking at all of this corruption, all of this infiltration of sodomites, all of this business of, of sodomites abusing lads right, left, everywhere. And it's all been a culture of open secrets. Everybody knows. Everybody turns a blind eye. Nobody says anything. And it's not just in the context of that. It's in the context of in the secular world, too. It's people like Epstein. Everyone knew what Epstein was. Everybody. Everyone knew what he was. I mean, it's just nobody says anything. And you can just cite example after example after example of all this crap that goes on. And everybody knows it's going on. And then when it finally, you know, somehow the powers that be decide that they want an Epstein to go away or they want a Harvey Weinstein to go away or or whatever it is, then... Oh, everybody starts come comes crawling out of the woodwork. But before that, it's not as if these things are are any sort of a secret or anything. It's just people look and shrug and uh, well, I'm gonna I'm just gonna go watch the football game and I'm not gonna worry about this or you know I'm people people just don't care. So the, the whole notion and the whole critique that this can't be legit if you and Barnhart are the only person that's talking about it. Well. 
I'm sorry, but that dog doesn't hunt. And it especially doesn't hunt given the events of the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years where there's been just scandal after scandal after scandal. And, and not just in the church, in our society in general, society and culture now is just one ginormous, unending scandal after scandal. That's what, you know, 24-hour cable news is all about. It's just moving from one scandal to the next. And now we're to the point where if there isn't one, they'll make one up because they they just have to have it. Um, Almost like they're trying to to desensitize us to the whole notion of scandal or anything being morally relevant or morally objective. Absolutely. I mean, think about... Okay, think about our youth, you know, for those of us who are who are Generation X, born in the 70s, born in the 60s, born in the 70s. Do you remember the Iran-Contra hearings in the summer of 87? I mean, that was just, the world stopped. And I remember we would just, I was, what, 10 years old that summer. And I remember that you, that's what we watched on television every day. You just turn on the TV and you watch the Iran-Contra hearings. And now, I mean, that stuff is just piker, trivial, ticky-tack compared compared to what goes on. And now we have a 36-hour, it isn't even a 36-hour, it's probably less than 24 hours now, a less than 24-hour news cycle where, where things, things are happening that would have just ground the entire planet to a screeching halt 30 years ago are now just a less than 24-hour news cycle shrug. And yeah, and there's the notion that there's nothing we can do. There's nothing you can do about any of this. Um, it's just, this is the entertainment that's on TV. And then you just move from one to the next to the next. And nothing's ever going to get better. Nothing's ever going to get resolved. There's never going to be any justice. And yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think people are 100% sensitized, or excuse me, desensitized to that exactly. Yeah. It also speaks to the genius, and I don't know whose idea this was exactly, when Edward Snowden released all of his um, revelations. He didn't put it out all at once. It was intentionally done in a trickle manner. Every five days or so, something else would come out. And the whole point was to overcome the 36-hour news cycle. So by the time one of the stories started dying down, boom, then another one comes out, and then you have the expectation there's going to be more. Then you start then you have the the consciousness that hey there's something here and that took several big stories coming out and that's why greenwald won the uh, the pulitzer for that but yeah it's it's too quick for people to just forget about things and that was just you know a government ignoring its own rules and snooping on people here we have the biggest scandal possible you've got the church essentially denying christ you've got you got the, the the man who appears to be pope Bishop in white, who questions, well, no, he apparently is denying that Jesus is even divine and denying the bodily resurrection. And what does St. Paul say about that? If Christ is not risen, then our faith is in vain and we are still in sin. Exactly. And can you not feel, I can feel it. I can feel it and see it. Um, you know, what's the latest thing that, what's it, the denial of the divinity of Christ? What's the latest thing that Scalfari said Bergoglio said is that it I guess the de- the denial of Christ divinity is the last thing no he he said that uh, there was no bodily resurrection yes denial of the bodily resurrection see see 
I can't even remember, I mean, you know, something like that happens now and talk about desensitization. Even we are, des are becoming desensitized th to this. And that makes, that's a drudge headline that made it onto drudge. Schoigel, Schoigel throwing the Pachamamas in the river that made it onto drudge. But um, in terms of this, these scandals of Bergoglio, Bergoglio denies the bodily resurrection and we are just like, yeah, it's a day that ends with why. What's next? What's he going to do next? He's, um, what's left? Um, deny, deny the real presence of the Eucharist explicitly, like explicitly. Um, he, I don't think he's done that. Has he done that yet? Hold his uh, red wine. Give him a couple of. Days. He's, he said to somebody, oh, I know what it was. He said to some woman in Argentina who called him in the, in the immediate aftermath of, of the exuberance of sodomy, Amoris Laetitia, and said, you know, I'm, I'm fake married to my second husband, or this is, the, this is a fake second marriage for both of us. Can I receive Holy Communion? And Bergoglio's response was, yes, a little bread and wine does no harm. Now that's not, that's not coming out and explicitly, explicitly denying the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. But I, I think that's what would be, what would be left? Um, explicitly denying that sodomy is a sin and, and there's not much more territory to cover. Go ahead. Was that also the, the phone call where he said that if your current priest is giving you problems with this, just go to a different priest? Yes. And it might have also been the same phone call. Um, there was no, because I think they were both fake civilly remarried, but there was another thing with Argentinians where he said that um, shacking up cohabiting couples, oftentimes there's, there's more grace in those relationships than there are in people who are actually married in the church. And he, he dovetailed that with the lie that almost all marriages are invalid. Um, so yeah, it's from a certain point of view, he could actually be correct, but that's not how a pontiff is supposed to talk. Exactly. <laughs> From a certain mm. twisted point of view, mm. he might be right, but he's supposed to teach the ideal point of view. Darn it! I don't. Uh, I don't know about that because my the the family is the foundation, obviously, of human civilization of of all human life, and so I think that our Lord is is loathe to not come to somebody's wedding, if you know what I'm saying, which would invalidate it. Um, I think he's, he's, he's loathe and he's going to default on coming to the wedding precisely because we can't as human beings be going through, um, you know, societal life with everybody just totally doubting the validity of every marriage. And so that's why up until not too terribly long ago, there were only a handful of annulments um, declared, uh, declarations of nullity made in the church any given year, because the, the default assumption is, and it has to be, that yeah, yeah, that, that marriage was valid. And like a, a, a priest friend scholar of mine said, you do not need to have a PhD in theology in order to get married and know what, know what you're doing and, 
and for the marriage to be valid. That's just that's just false. So I think I I think unfortunately for a lot of people out there who have who have deluded themselves into believing and the church has told them um, that has given them um, cookie cutter, cracker jack declarations of nullity. I think a lot of people are going to be surprised when they find out that, yeah, that was, that was all nonsense. And uh, the reason that's a bold thing to say, but one of the examples that, that just happened is somewhere, where was it? It was somewhere in, in, um, was it Washington DC or somewhere up in new England? It was just revealed within the last few months that one of the people that was sitting on an annulment panel in a major New England archdiocese was an sodomite ex-priest who had become Episcopalian and was faux married to a guy that he engaged in sodomy with. This guy was sitting on an annulment panel. Now, how could you possibly think that you that an annulment granted by an annulment panel, or not granted, but um, issued, a declaration of nullity issued by an annulment panel consisting of an, uh, an apostate sodomite ex-priest who's fake married to to another man could possibly possibly render a just and true verdict with regards to um marriage nullity i mean that's just seriously seriously you've got all these people who are completely unsound and you know we had um we did a show with um bay mcfarlane the gal who's doing all the work of just desperately trying to fight the whole cookie cutter annulment thing and she can she can just rattle off statistics of archdiocese that have 100 percent annulment rates everybody who petitions the the diocese for an annulment gets an annulment. And Ber that's that's the Bergoglian agenda. He came out with that in 2014. He wants everybody who presents themselves and asks for an annulment to get an annulment and for it to happen instantaneously and at no cost. I mean, it's just, hello, the guy's the anti-John the Baptist. What, what more does it take, you know? To make a dumb so analogy from something we were talking about earlier about... Uh sports being the national religion here in the United States. Mm -hmm. If a football coach was a perfect Owen 16 every year, how long do you think it would be before he gets fired and somebody who actually knows how to, I don't know, win a game would be hired. Mm -hmm. When you look at these dioceses and look at the, the invalidity rates coming back, you've got to wonder who in the heck is responsible for actually preparing people for marriage to the point that you can get upwards of 92% of requests for nullity granted nationwide. Well, there's an objective answer to that question. It's the bishop. The bishops will answer directly and personally for all of this. Um, but, you know, yeah, at the same time, the culpability also lies with the laity. I mean, there's just there's no excuse anymore to not to not know any of this. Again, the whole the whole micro rant about we all walk around with a baby television in our pockets that gives us unfettered access, instantaneous access to the sum of human knowledge translated instantaneously into our mother tongue, including 
all of the teachings and history of, of the one true church. Really? Invincible ignorance. You had no way of knowing about any of this, huh? Tell me more. Tell me more about that invincible ignorance. Well, can, can you put your baby television down long enough to actually look at me and explain to me about how invincible, invincibly ignorant you are of absolutely everything and certainly everything that matters? Um, yeah, not, not buying it at all. So where there's there's plenty of culpability to go around but of course it's of course it's the bishops who are ultimately responsible for for all of that and that's why you know it's a that's why there's red as the accent color for bishops because they should be willing to suffer and die and be martyred and it's exactly the opposite it's it's basically just a sodomitical club a mafia a criminal organization and again, that infiltration, man, they don't, you don't get, you don't get tapped. You don't get elevated. You don't get promoted unless you're either actively a sodomite and therefore they know they've got you or that you have something that, that they feel like they can hold against you or, um, or leverage against you, or that you've given every indication that you're completely willing to look the other way when it comes to sodomy and and so on and so forth. So it's it's a it's very very much a reverse meritocracy. Um, and the higher you go, the 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 worse that dynamic gets. They're not letting people into this into the the College of Cardinals or the Roman Curia or anything else, unless. They're already in the sodomite coven, or they're completely willing to turn a blind eye to it and pretend that it doesn't exist. And you know, back to back to Pope Benedict, and he knew he knew, and I think he despaired. I really, truly do. I just I think he despaired, and he and he fell for the lie that there's just there's just nothing you can do. It's too much. When the truth of the matter is, is that he he had and still does have. He has all of the authority and he has all of the potentiality. He could he could do it right now. He could call a press conference. Everybody has a phone, put it on the internet, take everyone's hat, liquidate the College of Cardinals, elevate 12 new guys. I mean, the things, the things that he could do, he is the vicar of Christ and he is an absolute monarch and he does have absolute authority. And that's his problem, I think, is that he simply doesn't have, he doesn't have faith in his own authority and his own ability and his own capacity to act. And we know this is, we have testimony of this from our, from Bishop Fillet, who went to see him in the, in Rome once. And, you know, while Pope Benedict was, was fully exercising the Petrine office and not just partially exercising it. Um, um, and, Pope Benedict pointed at the door and our Bishop Fillet said, why don't, why don't, you know, why don't you do something? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And Pope Benedict pointed at the door and said, my authority ends at that door. And that's, that's an indication of a lack of faith on Pope Benedict's part in, in the papacy, in himself, in God, in the Petrine promise, in the authority that is bestowed upon the Pope. I mean, you know, they've, it seems to me that even the good guys have fallen for the Freemasonic lie that the papacy 
ain't no thing and it's, it's no big deal. And you know, this, that, and the other, and, and it's exactly the opposite. It is an absolute monarchy. The Pope is, is the monarch of monarchs. He's, he's, the head man on the surface of this planet and his jurisdiction is literally the entire universe. And, um, it's all part of the Freemasonic, um, denial of that. And that's what ultimately all of this is about. Just keep watering it down, watering it down, watering it down. Oh, we got to make the Lutherans happy. You know, we got to make the Anglicans happy, but ultimately what you're doing is you're, you're just trying to make Satan happy. That's what you're trying to do. And that's what Freemasonry is about. And the only thing they don't seem to like watering down is when uh, the Pachamama Moloch idol gets thrown in the river. That's that's the only time they 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 want to uh, limit the watering down. Exactly. Um, we have a whole lot of notes left for this uh, for this podcast. I'm going to skip some of them. We'll just have to do this do another recording sometime. I want to get to um, how are the book sales going. For, for this, we were going to be doing cool. half religious and half uh, Financial Friday. We may have to just split the other one to Financial Friday, but I want to bring this one up. How are your book sales going, Anne? Oh, it's 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 absolutely wonderful, and I can't I can't thank everyone enough. And it's I'm I'm really happy that finally I got off my butt and worked with um work with Mr. Typesetter. Shout out and and big big thanks to Mr. Typesetter, um who it wouldn't have come to fruition without without him and his help. And yeah, so now the second one, the apologetics version, has been released, and we've got plans for oh I've got plans for at least three more different little volumes. Um, the next one I think that I want to target getting done is I want to make a little, uh, you know, the same size as these small paperback. I, I think they're called pocket size. Um, pocket size collection of just helpful prayers, um, form for going to confession, just little things here and there, little devotional things, no original composition of anything myself, but kind of like if I could make my own little pocket book of devotions to stick in my backpack or whatever, um, or carry in the glove compartment of the car, wh whatever the case may be, that you could write all over, that you could scribble all over, um, that just had all of the devotions that I use the most, the St. Mar Michael chaplet, things like that. So it's just in one little book and just put all of that together and um, just always have it on hand. I think that's the next thing I'm going to do because I think a lot of people will get a tremendous amount of good out of that. Um, or and like then the, of course, the devotional guide of the different stages of the mass. Um, exactly. Which credit to you for that. That came, didn't that come from you? I found it somewhere and uh, I need to figure out where it was. I found that. I don't remember now. It, that is so incredible. I've gotten so many emails from people saying, whoa, I have never looked at the mass like that. And I'll never look at the mass the same way again. I'm like, right, right. Like for, for something as simple as when the priest goes to the epistle side to read the introit is Christ being taken before, um, before the Sanhedrin. Yeah. You know I mean, it's just like, Oh wow. And when the priest, um, when the priest says the confidior at the prayers at the foot of the altar, 
that's Christ's agony in the garden. That's Christ going face down in the dirt and agony. And so now every time when you're watching, when you're watching, seeing, and you too are praying along with the mass and the prayers at the foot of the altar, when you see the priest bend over and start to say the confidier, yeah, there's all you can now see in your mind. And what flashes into your mind is the image of our Lord and his agony in the garden. Oh, and just, you know, there's 36 little bullet points like that. Absolutely incredible, incredible um, mass aid. Best I've ever seen, as I said in the title of the post. So yeah, something like that, where you just always have it on hand. Um, not super thick, not super heavy, because we already have our missile and we're already carrying around our, our missile, which is a little brick. So this would be just be a thin little pocket-sized book that... Um, it would be, it would, it's going to be my dream book. It's going to be all the stuff that I use, obviously. So, and hopefully other people would get use out of that as well. And again, it's cheap, it's paperback, you could go and get more. And so you're at liberty to write all over it, paste pictures into it, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, so I think that would be useful, but yeah, just can't thank everyone enough. And it's just been a, you know, it's a, anything I can do to be able to get further out ahead on uh, on rent. And I'm again, I'm hoping uh, that when I see my landlord later on this month, that I'm going to be able to throw another three months worth of rent at him. So just get out ahead of it. Keep out ahead of it. Gives you real peace of mind so that you don't have to worry that in case anything does happen, I can say, look, all right, it's the 20th of November. So I've now paid through December, January, February. I'm I'm perfectly squared away until February. So even if something happens and even if things go sideways, I've got that flexibility. I know where I stand. I'm paid in full through February. So man, that just talk about helping you to sleep at night. That's, that's big. And I can't thank everyone enough. And that's where things are going and, and that's what we're doing. And, and thanks be to God. And um, like I was like I was alluding to, it's it's a school night here, so I I need to keep this one kind of short. We're at an hour mm. and seventeen, and um, we probably we might do another one yet later this week, unless other family events intervene, and uh, in which case we'll just do it when there's an opportunity. But I need to wrap this up for this evening. So um, unless you have something else you wanted to cover, real quick. No, sir. I think that's a show. Take it. Okay. The email address for the podcast where you can send feedback, comments, suggestions is podcast at barnhart.biz. Masses for ends benefactors. Don't forget that there's a mass every single day. And once a week, there is a requiem mass for everybody who died the previous week. Please pray for these priests. And hopefully you um, made it to the sec, to the, uh, sec what was I going there? The cemetery. Mm, what indeed. Was what was I going to say there? I don't know what word I was tripping over. Yes, if you went to the cemetery from November 2nd to the 8th, or was it the 9th, uh, I always just keep going a couple of days extra because I can't remember what the real day is. And I figure if, it, if it's not the plenary indulgence, then at least a partial can be applied to the souls. Hopefully you did that and you uh, achieved some plenary indulgence for the poor souls. They're the best friends you're ever going to have. They're not going to be, uh, they're not going to forget about you. They're, they're, they're not going to be ingrateful that uh, you got them out of purgatory if you did that. And you don't have to wait for next November to do it. Um, offer up, uh, there, there's, there's a litany, and maybe this would be something good to post at some point, mm. is just a, a list of ways to earn plenary indulgences. And offer it up for the poor souls. In the same sense that uh, people who are 
If there was a smart athlete who makes millions of dollars, he would turn all of his money over to a financial advisor and say, here, you invest it for me. Tell me how to take care of this. Don't let me go waste it all. If you hand over your plenary indulgences to the poor souls, they're going to make sure that you're not forgotten. Indeed, because we absolutely. are sinners, we, we tend to have to go back to the confessional every once in a while. If we decide to be uh, greedy with our, our, our um, plenary indulgences, we might just lose them. So, Or maybe you're awesome and I'm just the weak one here. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, yeah, the... we might we might have to go back to the confessional every once in a while. I love how you phrase that. Like, speak for yourself. It's like we should be going. I think a lot of us should be have the objective of going like once a week right now because that's how that's how serious things are. And you know, if I mean, if even crazy Mel Gibson knew that when he was making the Passion of the Christ that they all needed to be availing themselves they were all going to daily mass and they were all availing them themselves of very frequent confession if even mel gibson knows that then how much more should we know that the other thing i want to mention is is last week we talked about um having a mass said for for kanye west and and his family that they actually genuinely convert to the one true faith you know it's funny i Whenever I put out a call for a mass to be said for for something, it's you know generally a matter of hours, and I've got a priest saying yes, I'll do it. I did not hear anything from anyone about saying a mass for Kanye. So just we're just looking for one mass here. That's that's all we're asking. So if any of you out there fathers are listening, and you've got um, an open slot at any point in the near future, I really am serious. It's <sighs> an exercise in intense fraternal charity to have a mass said for someone who is not my favorite person at all um, and for his family, but they're human beings and God loves them infinitely and died on the cross for them. And he made them for the beatific vision. So anything we can do to help with that. And I would like to still have one mass said for the conversion of Kanye West and his family. So putting that out there. Absolutely. The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Supernerd Media. If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, supernerdmedia.com is where you can find the mailing address since the electronic donations are offline for the moment. And that's what Richard did. Thank you very much, kind sir. And I will let you wrap up with the Matthew 1720. Matthew 17, 20 intention is prayer and fasting, hopefully fasting twice a week, and of course, prayer every day. That fourfold intention that um, the Bergoglian anti-papacy be publicly recognized, that Bergoglio be declared an anti-pope and that the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living pope since April of 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism die in a state of grace and someday achieve the beatific vision and that Pope Benedict Ratzinger repent of whatever he needs to repent of, die in a state of grace and also achieve the beatific vision. Speaking of prayer and fasting, I didn't, we didn't mention this earlier, but uh, last Saturday was the, the global request for prayer and fasting in reparation for the Pachamama thing that the Society of St. Pius X called for. Yes. And I don't know if there are any other groups who have called for such a prayer and fasting at a global or even just organizational level. I don't um, think so. One of the parishes, well, the parish that where I went to mass this last set, this last Sunday, 
they had something on all the doors. It, it's refreshing to see something, you know, nice, or I should say wholesome nailed to the door. Actually, it was taped, but uh, it, it was it was uh, tomorrow. They're calling for fasting and abstinence and, and uh, well, fasting and, and prayers and, and, and reparations for the Pachamama thing. I'm sure other Latin mass parishes are doing this as well, but it's not to the same level of a, a, a global call from, from an organization that's well known. So. Agreed. And I, I did, I mean, you can attach yourself, like when the SSPX that went out, I pushed my fast from Friday to Saturday so that I could, so that I could match up with the, with the SSPX's intention. And someone was asking me and I tried to look around and see if it was possible for me to get to, I would have gone to an SSPX chapel if it was, if it was logistically feasible for me last week. And it just simply wasn't, but I was, I was looking, I was trying to figure out, can I get somewhere? And I couldn't, um, but yeah, you I mean you don't necess- you can just attach yourself to that intention. So I I would I would encourage people to lobby. It's going to probably have to be done on the individual level because I mean I don't I don't want to be overly pessimistic, but I just don't see right now any of the the Ecclesia Day communities coming out and publicly doing something like that because they're all terrified of Bergoglio. So, um, but I think on a parish by parish basis, you might be able to. Um, uh, approach the priest and say, look, can we do, can we do a holy hour, anything, you know, can we do adoration? What can we do? Um, and you know, anything that you can, that you can enjoin your clergy to do at, at least try, at least try. And if, if they don't do it, then do it yourself. So yes. Yeah, there's no prohibition against a, a group of pious faithful getting together and praying as a group. Uh, yeah. As one priest used to say that a, a group of, of people praying together is like an army arrayed in battle. And it doesn't take a large army to achieve things. There are great stories in the Maccabees about that. So don't forget that well, by the time you're listening to this, um, because I have work to do tomorrow, it probably won't come out It'll until Thursday passed, or Friday. Yeah. But, you know, time is not bound by this. I mean, the, the the economy of grace is a mystical, wonderful thing, and I hope to study it more in eternity in heaven. But um, when you hear this, consider doing some penance and, and, and abstinence or or uh, any kind of, of uh, penances for the reparations for the whole Pachamama crap going on in Rome. And the sad thought is we're probably not done yet. We're, we probably haven't hit the bottom of the barrel yet. No, so. no, I, I, I've been specifically told by people in Rome that we haven't, and I think we talked about that on the last, the last episode. There's, there's bad, bad things going on inside the Vatican, and it's going to get worse before it gets better. But keep praying and keep trying to do things. Be active. Don't fall into the the heresy of quietism. Yeah, regardless of all of the happy news, and I say that in a complete sense of sarcasm coming out of Rome, um, it. We we do know how this all ends. It 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 is Christ has already won the the battle. It mm-hmm. if you knew the outcome of the game before it ever started, would you make the wrong bet? Seriously, to go back to a football analogy here, we we know the outcome of this one, and just don't be so dumb as to go onto the wrong side of it. And exactly. hopefully, hopefully that's a, a happy thought. And on that happy thought, I am super nerd, and I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. 